This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I am in Las Vegas, Nevada, here at the Park MGM, uh, UFC 235 around the corner. Very, very stacked card. Uh, I'm quite fond of this card. I like a lot of the matchups here. Um, although some of them are kind of lopsided, but we'll get into that a little bit uh, later on with uh, James Lynch, who's joining me right now. He uh, works for an array of websites, BJPenn.com, Flow Combat, SureDog. Are you on SureDog? Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. SureDog. Yeah. Uh, what else? We got Fightful. Yeah, it's, it's hard to keep track, but I am here for Fl- uh, Flow Combat this week, so we'll, just, we'll stick with Flow. And uh, I can confirm that Aaron is actually in Las Vegas. Yep, confirmed. So, so we're not actually doing this where I'm pretending to be working or something along those lines. Yeah. So um, this is, a, a, I think, a really great card. What are your, what's your take on the card? I mean, do you think that it's uh, as stacked as Dana White's making it out to be? I do, and I'm confused why people don't think that way. I've seen a f- little bit of chatter saying it's not as strong as people would like, and maybe some of the matchups are lopsided, like you alluded to off the top there. But to me, I think this is definitely uh, a stacked card, and to me, this is also just uh, sort of, um, what is it, payback for uh, what happened in December with the card getting moved. I think the UFC knew they had to come back to Vegas with a strong card. And, I mean, you look at this top to bottom. I know we had one fight removed. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But uh, this is still a really great card top to bottom. I, I can't think of one fight on this card I don't like. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that there's some really good matchups as well, like just ones that are pretty – Really intriguing. I think that Misha Serkinov against Johnny Walker, I'd love to see what happens there because Johnny Walker has been running through everybody, but he hasn't really faced anybody the uh, caliber of a Misha Serkinov. Um, and then, of course, I just think if we go right to the top, John Jones versus Anthony Smith, the intriguing thing about this is I thought Anthony Smith looked really good against Volkan Uzdemir. He overcame some strife early on. And the thing about Anthony Smith is he's really such an unheralded uh, challenger at this point in time. It reminds me almost of Robbie Lawler, who's also on the card, making his way from being not really a journeyman, but kind of a mid-carder, gatekeeper-type guy to you know ascending to the top of a division that had been run by George St. Pierre when he had walked away from the UFC the first time. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about George later on. But um, do you think Anthony Smith has a legitimate chance here? And uh, if so, what path do you think is his best path? I think as the fight goes on, I think Smith does have a chance. Uh, you saw against Volkan Ozdemir, o- Ozdemir wasn't able to put him away early, and Smith was able to overcome some adversity like you alluded to, and he was able to get a late finish. And I think that's something that plays into his hand here. We also have to talk about the fact that Anthony Smith actually has more fights than John Jones. And I know, you know the competition that Jones has fought compared to Smith is different, but that still plays a factor in it. And I, I just think that Jones, other than the Gustafson fight, hasn't really been pushed. And I think that Smith has. And that's a scary thing when you have a guy who's you know, completely counted out of this fight, look at the odds, and then you have you know, just his ability to you know, keep, keep within the fight. So he can definitely win this fight. I mean, that's why it's, you know, they, they have betting lines for a reason because uh, you know, anything can happen in a fight. And we've seen bigger upsets and things like that in the past, but um, I, I don't think we should be just writing off Anthony Smith completely. And uh, yeah, I, I think, like I said, the experience and just the, you know, the, the, his ability to just overcome adversity, I think, is a, is a big factor for him. Yeah, I'm with you. And the thing about Smith that's kind of different from a lot of Jones' previous opponents is he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Yep. He's good off his back if you take him down. He's obviously very good on top. And also on the feet, dangerous at any time. So those are kind of the things that Anthony Smith brings to the table that a lot of Jones' um, opponents haven't brought. And when I say that, if you were to rate everybody's attributes out of 10, you know, Gustafson's stand-up, especially his boxing, is probably a 9 or a 10. Yeah. Um, Cormier's wrestling is a 10. 
but Anthony Smith is kind of a seven everywhere, yeah, <laughs> which is I, I which is what's interesting. Seven. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think I think he's average everywhere, but um, again, I mean, anything can happen in a fight uh, with, with Jones. You know, Jones could get injured. The other thing we have to talk about too is that it hasn't affected him yet. But I mean, all this stuff that's happened outside the cage with John, at some point, that's got to just weigh on him a little bit. Uh, whether it's you know being tested by Usada or the fans, you know, calling him a cheater and things like that. Like Anthony doesn't have to worry about any of that. He's he gets to go into this on a clean slate, and John, you know, will always have that asterisk, uh, unfortunately, just because of the things that had transpired leading up to the last fight and the Cormier rematch and everything else. So, um, you know, that's a lot to weigh on him, and Anthony doesn't have to worry about that. So I think there just are a lot of interesting, uh, you know, factors in this fight. But with that said, I mean, I, I think we all agree that Jones will probably win this fight. But it, nonetheless, it, there are some interesting things at play here in this matchup. I'm not too sure how much of a factor that is given Jones going in against Gustafson and really putting on an A-plus performance against the only guy that had really challenged him prior to that. I thought that Jones really overcame any sort of adversity that might have been against him outside of the octagon, inside the octagon at UFC 232. Um, and I think that he definitely has the potential to do that against Anthony Smith. Um, like you mentioned, long odds. I think this is the biggest favorite since Besh Kohea versus Ronda Rousey in a championship bout. Um, the lines dropped. It was almost at 20-1 to 1 last week, and now it's down to about 10-1. to 1. So um, that's probably just because the lines evening out a little bit as it gets closer, but still some action, I'm sure, coming in on Anthony Smith. Uh, the, the matchup that really intrigues me is the co-main event. I think the yeah. welterweight title fight between Woodley and Usman is interesting because we've never really seen Usman in any sort of trouble in the octagon, and Usman's a guy who started with basically like 10 wrestling and zero striking, yeah. and similar to like a Curtis Blades at heavyweight, and he's been able to get better and better and better in the striking game and make inc you know incremental improvements every time he's been in the cage. And now against a guy like Woodley, I think that Usman, you know, a lot of people say, what's Usman's path to victory? And I think it's a pretty clear path. Um, what, what do you think? I, I think it's really going to come down to the wrestling. If Usman can use his wrestling and out-wrestle a guy like Woodley, which is not easy to do. I mean, Darren Till had no answers for Tyron Woodley. Um, I, I think that, that's where this, this fight will get interesting because... We've seen Usman, you know, use his stand-up. He knocked out Sergio Marias. It, it doesn't happen often with his striking in terms of him using it, but um, he does have knockout power. But Woodley clearly is, if you look at the two, he's, he's got the, the more, he's, he's got a more refined stand-up game. And I think that, you know, you just look at the caliber of opponents as well that Woodley's fought. There, there's a lot of things here that I think do to favor Tyron Woodley, and that's why he is the betting favorite here. Um, the one area of concern for Woodley is just his lack of activity. Um, you know, he did beat Darren Till last year, but if you just look at the layoff in between fights, uh, you know, that is a bit concerning. He's getting up there in age. Usman, the younger fighter. So that, that's sort of what I find very intriguing about this matchup. But um, yeah, I, I think if Usman, if, if he's not, the thing, the thing that I would say about this fight is that had Usman finished his last couple of opponents, like let's say he finished Maya or he finished R RDA and, uh, you know, and I know that's tough to do, but let's say he did do that, I would give him more of a chance in this fight, but there's nothing about his game that suggests that he can A, finish Tyron Woodley or B, be able to out-wrestle him because Woodley is an outstanding wrestler in, in, his, in his own right and we saw that against Darren Till. I agree with that last point, but I, I'm actually approaching this from a completely different uh, standpoint. I think that there's not going to be a whole lot of grappling in this fight. I think that it's going to stay on the feet, and the thing that Usman can do to Woodley that a lot of opponents haven't been able to do to him is put volume on him, right. is get in and out, frustrate him with, with short strikes, annoying strikes, strikes that aren't going to do a ton of damage, but outland him by a 3-1 to one clip in certain rounds. I think that's his clear path to victory. I think that if he is able to out-volume Woodley, and you mentioned that his activity outside of the cage, Woodley's activity inside of the cage doesn't include a lot of volume. That's never yeah. been his thing. But volume can win rounds in the UFC, and if Woodley's not able to put Usman down, even if he is able to put him down, I mean, we saw that the Thompson fight was a draw. If he is able to put Usman down in one round, drop him, Usman recovers, Usman can still win four of those rounds just strictly on volume by outpointing Woodley. And I think that that's honestly his best path to winning. I think, you know, Woodley's trash talk I love because he says, how are you going to beat me? And, and if you look at Woodley, he's faced every type 
a fighter, there is the to fight. High-level wrestlers, high-level strikers, high-level grapplers. The difference with Usman is I think Usman's gas tank and his pace and his durability is what sets him apart from the other people that Woodley has faced in the past. And the, I think that's his, his easiest path to win. Whether or not he's able to do that will be seen because all it takes is one from Woodley. We know this. Um, in terms of the wrestling, I don't think they're, they're going to even try to wrestle each other unless one of them gets hurt or rocked. Um, I don't know if you agree with me, but that, that's kind of how I'm approaching this. And I think that it actually gives Usman a decent chance of winning. It's possible for sure. The one thing we have to look at, though, is the, is, is the power. I think that that definitely favors Woodley. Like you said, if he cracks you, uh, anything can happen. He dropped Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. We don't see Wonderboy get dropped in fights. Um, you know, Usman just hasn't had that moment. Like I said, he has the knockout over Marias, but other than that, he's not really known as a knockout guy. And so if Woodley's, I mean, all it takes is one shot. Usman, I think you could argue, has never faced a striker like Woodley before. So that were, that's where things get interesting. Let's say he doesn't decide to wrestle. Well, if it stays standing, if he gets clipped, is he going to be able to take a punch from Woodley? I don't know. That, that's what we're going to find out on Saturday night. And, you know, that is a great point because Usman does get hit. And that's one of the things that you have to look at in this fight. You mentioned he hasn't really fought a striker like Woodley. The best striker he's probably fought is Rafael Dos Anjos, yeah. who he kind of um, was able to neutralize in that fight. Uh, but I, I really like this particular matchup. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because Usman hasn't really been challenged yet. And I think that if there's anybody that's going to challenge Usman, it's got to be the champion. Uh, I think that a matchup with Colby Covington would have been interesting. I think a matchup with Askren in the future would be interesting. But right now, I think Usman versus Woodley is a solid fight. Uh, I would have given the title shot to Covington, but we all know that politics rules the sport. It's not really a sport. It's a promotion. And when you do the promotion favors, they tend to do you favors uh, in return. And I think Usman's been game. He's been ready to go on several different occasions. And that has benefited him here. He's been able to kind of jump the line and uh, render the interim championship kind of uh, useless, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that for UFC 236 with the main and co-main event, uh, event announced. Uh, the debut of Ben Askren. This one I'm really looking forward to as well because everybody's always said nobody has challenged Ben Askren in the in the cage, uh, but he hasn't really faced the highest level of competition now. I think you know Douglas Lima and, and um, Koroshkov are both very, very uh, game opponents, very, very high-level welterweights, probably top 15 welterweights. Lima probably a top 10 welterweight. Um, but Robbie Lawler's got the power to take anybody out, and he's actually got solid wrestling to boast as well. Not Askren-level wrestling. Very few people have that. But uh, do you think that Lawler um, is basically going to just be taken down at will by Askren, and Askren's going to control three rounds? Is that Because that's, that's kind of how I see it. I don't know how Lawler's going to be able to stop that. What I find interesting about this fight is had Lawler not fought Rafael Dos Anjos in his last fight, I think Lawler would have been the, the favorite in this fight, and I think you just would have looked at the striking and said, yeah, Askren's a wrestler, but has he ever taken a punch from a guy like Robbie Lawler? But the thing is, Robbie didn't look great in his last fight, and is that a question of him taking so much damage? Was it the style of opponent? We don't know the answer to that, and we're going to find out here, and both have had layoffs. Askren has a longer layoff. I mean, he briefly retired from the sport, um, so I think, I think what this comes down to is, yeah, can Askren get the takedown, and if he can, it's going to be a long night for Robbie. But if this stays standing, you know, can, can Askren take a punch? We haven't seen him face, uh, you know, and that's one of the things I plan to ask Askren at, at Media Day today is, you know, do, who, who would he compare to in terms of an opponent in the past that, that would be comparable to Robbie? I would think Douglas Lima, but it's tough to say because, uh, you know, Askren was able to completely out-wrestle him. Is he going to be able to do the same thing here against Lawler? It's an intriguing fight because we don't know which Robbie Lawler is going to show up. And for Askren, I mean... You know, we'll, we'll see. Was, was it just bad style matchups or was it the fact that he wasn't fighting top competition? We're going to find out here. And uh, the one thing we should mention, too, Askren's good teammate and friend, Ty Tyron Woodley, uh, you know, has already defeated Robbie Lawler. So what sort of, you know, information and tips has he been giving to Askren heading into the fight? 
Yeah, I'm looking at Lawler's takedowns, like how many times he's been taken down. He has been taken down quite a bit by wrestlers. I mean, even Rory McDonald took him down four times, Hendricks five times, twice by Dos Anjos in his last fight. And if those guys are taking him down, you got to yeah. believe that Ben Askren's going to be able to kind of take him down at will. And the crazy thing about Askren is you can't really train for him because you know exactly what he's going to do, and nobody has stopped him from doing it. Yeah. So I think Lawler's best bet is to... You know, come almost come flying out of the gates with strikes and overwhelm Askren. That's whether it's at the beginning of the first, second, or third round. I think that's his best path. I agree. Um, stick to what you're good at. Don't try and you know turn this into a stand-up battle. I know when he was in one, he was working a bit more in a striking, but don't do that against Robbie Lawler. That would literally be the worst thing he could possibly do here. Use your wrestling. Use your volume. Use your cardio. Again, that's that's one thing too that Askren sort of had in his in his cap. You know, he was the champion, so he was used to going those extra rounds. So um, yeah, I, I just I can't wait for this fight. This to me is the most intriguing matchup on the card because there's so many question marks with both guys heading into this fight. Wei Zhang, the best Chinese prospect the UFC has ever had, um, facing Tisha Torres, a very, very tough test for her. Do you think she's going to be able to pass that test? I do. I, I really think she is the real deal here, and uh, I think the UFC knows that as well, because I think with Torres, we've seen it time and time again. Either she wins a decision or she loses a decision. Uh, she, she's very much at the top of that the, the heap there in, in the strawweight class, but in general, she just hasn't done anything that's really made you think she could become a champion someday, and I think with, uh, you know, they have this new prospect, like you said, best Chinese prospect they've had. I think the UFC knows that this is a chance for her to shine and potentially get a win here, and I think she'll do it. I think, again, there's there are little things that she does in her game that, that impress me enough to think that she can, you know, she, you know what to expect with Torres. I think, I think she'll be able to overcome any sort of, uh, you know, offense that, that Torres has and, and get the job here, probably by a decision. For me, this is a watch and see because I think what we see from Zhang here is what we're going to see from her in the future, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I know that, that sounds kind of strange, but Torres, I think, is by far the best opponent she's ever fought. And if she's able to pass that test, we know that she is legit and yeah. that she is going to be a contender in this division because Torres has fought. Has Torres fought Nama Yunus? I think she has, right? Yeah, she has, so yeah. she's fought Nama Yunus, she's fought Joanna and Andrade. So she's fought the, the, holy, the holy trinity of the strawweight yeah. division, yeah. yes. So, uh, you know, this is a, a huge litmus test for Zhang. And I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not she's able to pass that test. Uh, Cody Garbrandt returns. He hasn't uh, had uh, his hands raised since he won the championship against Dominic. Dominic Cruz, what is it, three years ago maybe now? Yeah. Um, what do you think we're going to see from him against uh, Pedro Munoz? A guy who's always tough, good on the feet, great with submissions. Uh, do you think that Cody's going to be able to rise to the occasion and, and get back in the win column? I do, and I think there's a school of thought as well that you know the damage that he's taken against TJ is that going to be a step back for him because uh, you know if you look at the two fighters, Munoz really hasn't taken much damage in his career. So there's that school of thought. I mean, you have to look at the Cruz win and say, okay, he's. I mean, this is that that was a huge win for him. I mean, the Dillashaw fight it could just be a bad style matchup, a little emotional as well. Like these two guys were basically shaking hands at the press conference. I mean, there was a lot of respect there. So I mean, that might play into Cody's favor here, but um, I, I do see Cody winning. But as far as value in this fight, I think Munoz is, is definitely has a good chance of pulling off the upset. He has. Has knockout power. We see that in his, you know, uh, his last fight. Uh, he's, he's got the submission game, and he's a guy that really has nothing to lose here. I mean, Garbrandt. I think this is a risky fight for him because there's not a lot of upside if he beats Munoz. Yeah, sure, Munoz, uh, you know, is on a good winning streak, but he's not like a huge name. He's not someone that I, I think um, you know should be taken lightly. And like you, like I was just alluding to, he has you know both good stand up and a good ground game. I think we could see an upset here, but if I had to make a pick, I have to go with Garbrandt just because of the that what he's been able to do even leading up to, to winning the championship. Yeah, this is Garbrandt 2.0. I think yeah. that this is a Garbrandt that now has a kid that's yeah. now been humbled twice by T.J. Dillashaw. He's going to approach this very differently. As you mentioned at the press conference, he was very respectful to Munoz. But um, it's going to be interesting to see whether Garbrandt 2.0 is effective because this is a guy who's now humbled, who's not the same reckless, undefeated guy with a big chip on his shoulder that's, that's running his way through the division, knocking guys out in the first round. We might see a more measured 
thoughtful Garbrandt, and I don't know if that's going to play well to him. You know, he was so good as that kind of reckless, uh, young, undefeated guy who was, who was knocking everybody out. Will he be more measured? Will he be more mature? Will he, be, will he slow down the pace? Or do you think he might revert back to those old ways where it's kind of a live-by-the-sword, die-by-the-sword approach? It's tough to say because uh, I think he knows that, you know, if you look at who has a better stand-up, clearly Garbrandt has that. So maybe he wants to come out there, get it, you know, get it, get a huge win, make a statement and try and get his way back to the title and, you know, go guns a-blazing. But if I'm him, hopefully... Uh, you know, you look at this fight and say, you know, I got, I got to be, ta- I got to be technical in this one. I can't be emotional like I was against TJ. I got to do what I did against Cruz, and that's just use volume. You be the faster fighter, get there first. I think that's probably what we will see in this fight. But you never know. I mean, you know, the the part of me thinks too. He could just say, you know what. I, I really got to remind fans I'm, I'm, you know, one of the best in the division. I got to go out there and finish this guy. But I, I don't think that's the right game plan because Munoz is very tough to finish. My favorite fight on this entire card, thankfully, airs on TSN. It's going to be great. The main event of the prelims, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, who I think is the best prospect in MMA today, if you want to even consider him a prospect still. But whether or not he's a prospect will be determined after this fight because Jeremy Stevens has been a perpetual contender at featherweight. Um, he is going to be against, you know, facing off against one of the hardest hitters in featherweight, a guy that's a seasoned veteran who's really done it all in the UFC. Um, do you think that he's able to pass this test? And do you think that he is the best, uh, the best prospect in MMA right now? I, I, I know it's, it's tough. I mean, we just saw Peter Yan this past weekend really rise to the occasion against John Dodson. But uh, Magomed Sharapov, I think, has the most upside to become a champion of any of these prospects uh, that we've seen, especially with Max Holloway potentially on his way out of the division. I think this is a huge step up for him. I, I think Pete, you know, I'm looking at the odds right now and I see that he's the favorite and everyone says this guy's the future, but we really have no evidence to show that because he hasn't fought a top 15 guy. It's, I know something you and I have talked about before and it's not his fault. I know some fights have fallen through, um, you know, injuries, last minute opponents, things of that nature, but going from Kyle Bokniak and Brandon Davis to Jeremy Stevens is a huge leap in my opinion. We got to remember Stevens' last fight was against Jose Aldo and this guy, you know, people were writing Aldo off. I believe Aldo was actually the underdog heading into that fight. Um, you know, and Aldo's still has it. We saw that against Renato Moicano. So losing to him is not a bad loss. Aldo's still at the top of his game, and it's so easy how fans want to write this guy off. But you look at the experience in the cage. Stevens has fought everyone. You literally go look at his resume and who he's fought. He has fought the who's who. I, he's got the experience here. He's got great stand-up. I don't think Zabit has ever been hit by someone like Jeremy Stevens. He has that knockout power. We know his weakness on the ground. That is the clearest path to victory here. I think for Zabit, he's got a good frame for the division. He's a tough guy to, to take advantage of, and I, I realize all that, but I'm picking Stevens here for the upset. I really think people are overlooking him. I think um, you know him taking as much time off as he did. He, that, he, that loss to Aldo was in July. We're talking about a fight here in March. I think it's the right amount of time. I think he's got a great team behind him at Alliance. You know, he talked about some of the, you know, the personal things he was dealing with after that Aldo loss. I think it's his, his time to shine because everyone from you know, media to everyone else has said this kid's the future. Stevens has nothing to lose here, and he's got all the experience to back it up. I think he pulls off the upset. I couldn't disagree more. I think Zabit's going to really rise to the occasion and uh, and keep uh, Stevens at distance and frustrate him for three rounds, but uh, and possibly get a knockout if he's if he plays his cards right. I asked you before, who do you think is the best prospect in the sport? Um, I, I personally think Zabit might be the guy. Who do you think if, if you had to make a pick? Based off what though? That honestly, like 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 what are we basing this on? Like yes, he's looked good so far, but look at the competition he's fought. How many times have we seen a prospect you know rise up the ranks and they haven't fought the you know the, the like Yair Rodriguez is a perfect example. 
was on a great run, fought Frankie Edgar, got completely embarrassed. And but you can't compare Edgar to Stevens. We're talking about Tier 1 versus Tier 2. I, I understand Tier 1 to Tier 2, but I'd say Tier 1 to Tier 1B. I mean, let's, if Stevens had beat Aldo, he would be in the conversation for a title shot. We forget that. He had a good winning streak. He finished Josh Emmett. He finished a lot of really good fighters leading up to this. I think a lot of people are undervaluing Stevens here. Look, if, if Zabit goes out there and runs through Stevens, which is entirely possible— I just think again the odds are a little crazy here. Then yes, I would I would say yes to the the fact that that you know that he is the best prospect. But right now Peter Yan has more quality wins and has looked more impressive in my opinion. So he to me is the is the prospect right now, the best prospect. But like I said, we can have this conversation after Saturday. All right, I'm looking forward to that because I love talking MMA prospects. I know that you uh, have a, at Flow Combat, you were the guy who was doing uh, the the prospect rankings. I was, yes, uh, I, I was the guy. Not not doing it anymore, but uh, it's it's a little too much work. But um, but yeah, I, I certainly keep an eye on who's out there. And it, look, Zabit has looked impressive, but I just again we got to look at the level of competition. I mean, Brandon Davis and Kyle Bokniak are guys that are very close to being out of the UFC at this point. I don't think that's a stretch to say. And you're fighting Jeremy Stevens. It's like I don't know. It's a big step up. Speaking of high-level prospects with a big step up in competition, Johnny Walker <laughs> facing off against uh, Toronto native Misha Surkinov, who's now moved out to Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, but Walker has shown flashes of brilliance so far in his UFC career, both on the Dana White Contender Series and in his two UFC fights. Uh, Misha bounced back in his last fight um, against Patrick Cummins. And he's just a very, very methodical, smart guy. And training in Vegas, he says, has elevated his game to new levels. You know, it was what we always talked about, what everybody had talked about with Misha, is that he was training down. You know, at yeah. Extreme Couture in Toronto, he didn't really have anybody challenging him there. Now he's in the Shark Tank at Extreme Couture here in Vegas. Um, do you think that Johnny Walker is going to be able to uh, pass such a big test uh, in the light heavyweight division? And if he does, really, the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, this is kind of another situation like the Zabit fight in a way where it's like, you know, Walker, I mean, I will give him credit. The Cleo Roundtree win was great. I mean, that was that to me was more impressive than the Justin Ledet uh, finish in his last fight. But um, we'll see. I mean, what is it? This will be his third fight in less than 100 days, I think, or something. Uh, I think Mike Bond had that stat. So that's a lot of activity for him. Misha, you know, good win in his last fight. But I mean, let's be honest, Patrick Cummins, a guy on his way out of the UFC, I think. Um, I do like that Misha's training in Vegas. One other tidbit heading into this fight, you know, his wife's battling cancer right now. Uh, so, you know, how it, 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 we'll see how he handles that adversity is that going to make him better or is that going to you know hinder him in this fight I'm going to go with Johnny Walker only because I think there is a little bit more upside with him I think with Misha it's been sort of this up and down thing like I'll never forget the Glover fight where he was winning and then he got on the ground and he's completely lost and you know you, I don't know if it's been enough time for him to catch up to some of those instinct things that he's had to do training at Extreme Couture whereas Walker I think is a little bit more polished there and just the speed I think you know Misha he's used to bullying guys I think Walker has the potential to be the bully here so I'm, I'm going to go with Walker but I mean we'll see Misha could come out like a different animal and prove me wrong but uh, I got to go Johnny Walker here I think Walker has one minute yeah. I think he has one minute to finish this fight and if he doesn't get it I think Misha's going to make his life a living hell for three rounds honestly I think yeah. that Walker you mentioned who he's beaten, Khalil Rountree, striker. Yeah. You know exactly what Khalil Rountree is going to do. Justin Ledette, striker. You know, basically one of the, the more talented boxers in the uh, division got finished very quickly by, uh, by Johnny Walker. Misha is more of a grappling-based fighter at, uh, at light heavyweight, and if he wants to implement that game from the jump, that's what he's going to do. And the thing about Johnny Walker that sets him apart from a Zabit, a, a top prospect, is if you watch some of Walker's old fights, he makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And that might have been in the past. Who knows? Maybe he's gotten better in that regard. But against Misha Surkinov, you can't make mistakes, so you will be, you will be tapped out quickly. That's true, but then Misha's also made mistakes himself. I mean, getting knocked out by Volkan Ozdemir quickly, um, you know, that that was like, you know, lapse in judgment. Um, and then, you know, the, like I said, the fight against Glover, to me, was just like, 
it, it, it's almost as if he didn't know what to do when he was on the ground. And that to me is, you know, signals fight IQ. It signals, you know, being put in those positions. And that was when he was training in Toronto by himself, basically. So now he's, I'm sure he's getting those looks, but I don't know if the, he's only been an extreme couture for a year. I don't know if he's been able to catch up and figure those things out. Um, I mean, it's a coin flip. I mean, if Misha won this fight, it wouldn't surprise me. He has more octagon experience in terms of actual fights in the UFC than, than Johnny Walker does. Um, we'll see. But uh, I mean, certainly as a Canadian, I would love to see Misha continue his, you know, his comeback, so to speak. But I think Walker, uh, you know, this kid has some momentum, and I think that's why the UFC set this fight up because it was supposed to be OSP and, and Serkinov and insert Johnny Walker. Well, let's go down this card uh, a little bit faster now. Uh, Alejandro Perez, for my money, one of the most underrated guys in the yep. bantamweight division, uh, facing Cody Stamen, who's not underrated. I mean, we know what this guy can do. He's dangerous, a dangerous fighter. Um, do, who do you like in that one? Because I personally think Perez has what it takes to beat and frustrate a guy like Stamen. I think the value here is on Perez, but I do think Cody Stamen will win. We know what he's going to do to you. He's going to out-wrestle you. He's going to get in your face. He's going to keep up a really uh, high pace in the matchup, and I think that's what we'll see here. Uh, Perez, you know, he's used to sort of bullying guys, but I think Stamen will, will be the nail in this one. Just really, uh, and, and not to mention, Stamen's coming off second career loss. If you look at his first loss earlier in his career, it was a, it was a bad decision. So really, let's just say that one loss, first loss in the UFC, he's going to want to come back even stronger in this one, and I think we'll see a really good Cody Stamen in this one. But like you mentioned, Perez quietly amassing a really good winning streak in that division, taking out some good good competition. So don't count him out, but I, I think if, you know, gun to my head, I got to go Cody Stamen. The CM Punk killer, Mickey Gall, back in action. Um, he beat uh, George Sullivan in his last fight and got on the mic and called out Diego Sanchez. That was after his first hiccup against Randy Brown. Now, if we're talking about experience versus yeah. being green, this is the ultimate example of that fight. I mean, Diego Sanchez is the winner of the first ever Ultimate Fighter, and that was so long ago. Mickey Gall... He's barely been in the UFC, and he's barely beaten UFC, you know, UFC caliber competition. His his only win over someone of that caliber would be against Sage Northcutt. Um, no disrespect to George Sullivan, who didn't really have a very eventful UFC tenure. Um, what do you think happens in this one? Do you think that Sanchez is just going to be too game for the young guy, or do you think that Mickey Gall is going to be able to catch him? Diego Sanchez has never been submitted in his career. That that's a that's a big thing for me because Gall. That's how he wins all of his fights is using his ground game. I, I got to go Diego Sanchez here again for the experience. I think you got a guy who has six professional fights who lost not that long ago to Randy Brown. Randy Brown beat him by decision. I mean, I, I don't think the hype is there for Gall at this point. He hasn't really shown anything. This is a good opportunity for him because if you can take out a veteran in Sanchez, then clearly, you know, he's worked on some things. And, you know, he is at a good camp at Muscle Farm. He moved from New Jersey. He's at that great camp at Muscle Farm with Matt Brown and Joe Schilling and all those other fighters who are really pushing him on a daily basis. But, you know, Sanchez has the experience. A lot of people counted him out against Craig White. Now Craig White's in Cage Warriors and Sanchez is fighting Mickey Gall. So I think it just goes to show that uh, Sanchez, you know, he, he, he can rely on a lot of things. The only time Sanchez gets into trouble is when he's fighting guys that can outstrike him and I don't see Mickey Gall being able to do that so give me Diego Sanchez by decision I think he pulls up the upset here moving from the first ultimate fighter winner to the most recent ultimate fighter winner Macy Chase on taking on Gina Mazzani I think this is a tough matchup for Chase on the odds on this one I think are insane I do too, just with the fact that we haven't seen Chase on fight at bantamweight before. So she's got to get through the scales first. She's only ever fought at featherweight. I don't know why she's moving down when you have this division. I, I guess, you know, who knows what the UFC is telling do, her. Do we have the division? Yeah, exactly. That, that, might, that might be why. Um, so, um, and she's a huge favorite in this one. At last time I checked, she was about minus 550 against Gina Mazzani. I think that's too high. I think Chase, and De Chase on does, get it, get, does uh, get it done. I think she's, uh, you know, she was in this position before when, he, when she fought Panny Kionzet at the finale where she's fighting someone who's more experienced and, you know, gets it done. But, I mean, 
Aaron, she trains with guys at Fortis MMA, and that camp has just been on a roll. So she's getting to work with guys like Jeff Neal and Charles Bird, who's on this card, and Alex Morono. I mean, that is that that is something that is scary, the fact that she has to go in there and face them. Now, on the flip side, Gina Mazzani at Extreme Couture training with some really great fighters as well over there. But um, I've just been more impressed with Chason and her run on, on Tough and and just uh, the finale fight than I have with, with Mazzani. And we have to remember Mazzani's coming off a loss to Lena Landsberg. Um, just there hasn't been much with Mazzani that's really impressed me, and I think Chason will take advantage of that and get, get a decision here. Yeah, chason has got a lot of upside, for sure. I mean, seeing what she did against uh, Panny Kiadzad was, was really uh, interesting. I thought Panny was going to be able to win that fight just based on the experience, uh, but she made easy work of her. And uh, Gina Mazzani, I think, is going to be very game, like you mentioned, that extreme couture. Um, you, did you watch The Prices Right growing up? I did not. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I've watched it before, obviously. Yeah, you remember that's too much. I think the the line that's yeah. too much. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would not bet Macy Chase on unless I'd have to look at the inside the distance prop. It's possible she could finish her, but it's women's MMA. Usually, fights go the distance. Yeah, I mean it is a heavier weight class, but definitely. I mean, if you look at the uh, the historical trends going the distance is usually what happens um so uh that's basically wraps up ufc 236 there were a couple of fights or 235 we didn't uh there's two fights, yeah, yeah there's two fights yeah. we didn't really touch on so uh, and one fight that got canceled today uh was um why am i drunk yeah chito vera versus frankie uh frankie science, science. i was i was i saw perez there and he threw me off because i knew yeah. he was a mexican fighter with chito vera so that one's off the card uh, not a very big loss in terms of uh the depth of this card i think that uh that doesn't really move the needle but if there any other fights fall off this card it could be trouble yeah i agree um it's too bad because this was actually supposed to be chito vera against thomas almeida so um you know just disappointing we went from that to nothing but uh yeah hopefully chito's better we're hearing it's the flu or something sick uh, related so hopefully he uh, heals up because i was looking forward to watching him fight he's a great guy yeah, absolutely. So uh, UFC 235 is uh, almost in the books. UFC 236 just got announced this week. Yes. Atlanta in a month from now. Um, two interim title fights, the first time ever headlining an event. Uh, two great fights. Uh, Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier, a rematch of Max Holloway's debut in the UFC. Uh, Max has done quite a bit since then. Yeah. Uh, so has Dustin Poirier. Uh, that's for the interim lightweight title. And then the co-main event for the interim middleweight title, Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum. It takes place in Atlanta. Two very, very good fights, but uh, interim belts. People are not usually a fan of them. You're going to have two interim belts of, you know, on the line in this card. What, first off, if you win an interim belt, I'm going to find out this information. Do you get one of those legacy belts? Do you get a fancy belt or do you get an old belt? I would think you get uh, one of the new belts, I would think, because they, they got to keep it the trend, right? But you, you're not the legacy champion. You can't be an yeah. interim legacy champion. Maybe, maybe they have some belts left over, and they just to save some money, they will just give the old belts. Oh, I'll look into that. Um, but we, we're going to find out um, who is going to be potentially the next contender, because as we've seen in the past, in the lightweight division with Tony Ferguson, as well as uh, in the welterweight division with Colby Covington, an interim belt doesn't mean much other than maybe a little bit of a better payday. Yeah, and um, I, I think in this case, the interim belt, you know, makes sense because Whitaker, we don't know when he's going to be back. You've got two fighters, you know, especially in Gaslam where he was, he was, you know, hours away from fighting Whitaker and the fight was pulled. And then you have Israel Adesanya, who was supposed to be the backup, ended up fighting Anderson Silva. Not a great fight, but he gets it done. Um, you know, I, th I think it's more than deserving for, for that situation. With lightweight, I can kind of see it as well because you have a champion who doesn't want to fight till November, not just with the, the suspension, but also, you know, he, he's a Muslim, takes, uh, you know, does Ramadan, so he does not want to train during that time. I can understand that. So I think you need to keep the division moving. But, yeah, I mean, if you win a title, there's nothing, nothing is guaranteed, like you said. So, um, you know, I feel for these guys because uh, they might not end up fighting for title, uh, the, the undisputed title. I'm actually disappointed because I think Tony Ferguson versus Max Holloway would be one of the best fights the UFC could make right now. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, I mean, Tony has a good management team at Paradigm. Maybe they know something we don't, but 
uh, yeah, it's just disappointing that he didn't take that fight. But then on the flip side, he had an interim belt and they took it away. So, I mean, I don't blame him for not trusting the UFC in the situation here. I like that Max is coming up because I think that's the right weight class for him. But I also feel like the timing couldn't be worse because you have, you know, Poirier and Ferguson and Habib in this, you know, musical chairs. And it's it's just the timing of him coming up couldn't be worse when you have, you know, a situation at featherweight that still needs to be resolved. What's happening with the belt? You've got Aldo, you got Volkanovski. Like, what's going on there? So, um, yeah, I just think the timing, I mean, I, I'm excited for the fight, but I just think it sucks for Tony Ferguson that Max Holloway is now in, in the equation. And don't forget McGregor versus Cowboy, which is another wild card that could yeah. get into the mix. That division is really a disaster right now. There's just, yeah. and it's, it's an embarrassment of riches, which is really what, it's a good problem to have. You've got yeah. way too many contenders and not enough title defenses. Yeah, but I think the issue is, is that, you know, fans are going to get confused here. Like, what happens? Like, is McGregor and Cerrone going to be like a number one contenders? Does McGregor deserve number one contenders the way he lost his last fight? Like, it's tough to say. Like, I don't know what they do here, but uh, the UFC He's really got to figure some things out. But, I mean, there's going to be a lot of disappointed fighters, and we've seen that on social media. What happens to Ally Aquinta now? Like, what's he going to do? He just beat Kevin Lee, and who knows who he's, he's going to fight. I don't think he – I don't think Ferguson should have to fight him. I mean, what was the point in Tony Ferguson fighting Pettis if now that he's not even – you know, it's – I don't know. The whole thing's just a mess. George St. Pierre retired last week. Uh, as Canadians, uh, that resonates a lot more with us than a lot of other people, although George St. Pierre obviously a legend in the sport. Uh, before I ask you where I think he – where you think he ranks all-time – do you think it's ever going to be possible for Tyron Woodley to be considered the best welterweight of all time? What would he have to do to get that designation? That's a great question. I think that, I mean, I've had people argue already that he's better than George, but it's like, come on. Like, you, you look at who George beat in his prime, the run he went on. I think it's just a matter of him being more active and, you know, taking out fighters that, that are notable. So, you know, let's say he takes out, um, you know, Usman here, and let's say he fights Colby, and let's say he, like, like really, it's going to get to the point where it's like, has he cleaned out the entire division? Uh, outside of Askren, where I'm sure, you know, Askren would move up or they'd figure something out. But um, I, I really think this is, uh, you know, th there just needs to be a little bit more there. And I think, you know, we can't ignore the fact that he knocked out Robbie Lawler. Like, that is super impressive. And that, that to me, you know, puts him in that conversation. But I think there's just, I think activity is what is keep is holding him away. And I know you could argue that with George because there were some times when he was injured and out. But I think, I don't know, it's tough because... The problem, too, with George is that he represented, like, a country and, and everything else. It's so much bigger than what Woodley sort of represents at this point, I think. I don't know. I, I, think, I think he's got an uphill battle. He's also got age uh, not on his side. I think he's 36 years old. So that's going to be problematic because he's going to probably need another two or three years to be able to get into that conversation. Um, George, where do you view him in terms of worldwide, like, in terms of, sorry, uh, mixed martial arts of all time? Do you have... Uh, do you have a gauge on that? Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I'd probably say top three. I won't call him the greatest of all time, but I think what people, you know, people are quick, especially the newer fans are like, oh, St. Pierre was so boring. And, you know, that's sort of the narrative as to why he's not in that top heat. But you have to remember that, you know, he had exciting fights earlier in his career. The, the rematch against Matt Hughes, um, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, someone was replaying that clip again the day. Like that, that was such a dominant performance. And the way he finished Hughes really was like, man, I don't think anyone's going to beat this guy for a while. And of course, Matt Sarah upsets him the next fight after that. But I think that, um, I think he's got to be top three. I, to me, what I look at is level of competition during his prime, who he fought. You know, there's the Hendricks fight that I think could have gone the other way. But in general, he was dominant for, for a period of time. And it looked like no one was going to be able to beat him. And I hate this whole argument about, oh, he should have fought Anderson Silva. To me, that doesn't matter. I think if you were beating the guys that were put in front of you, the, the, best, and, uh, the best of the best, you know, like look at like John Fitch and Tiago Alves and Koscheck, Those guys could never get a title because of George St. Pierre. I think that has to put him in the conversation of the top three.
Yeah, and a lot of people that make that case that he should have fought Anderson Silva, who do they have at number one? John Jones? Right. Anderson Silva? Yeah. Anderson Silva didn't fight GSP or Jones, and Jones didn't fight Anderson Silva or a heavyweight, for example. Um, if anything, Silva went up to light heavyweight a couple times and had a cup of coffee there and did some things. So if you're going to make the case about fighting in multiple weight classes, then you've got to give it to Anderson Silva if that's your opinion. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think it's John Jones, but uh, I don't know if I'm in the majority, and I think that a lot of people would have to basically ignore his history with performance-enhancing drug tests, uh, which I'm willing to do because I know that the era where he was dominant, there wasn't really a whole lot of regulation. Yeah, I, I agree with you there on Jones. Um, and then the other thing is we have to, like, the, 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 the moving up weight thing bothers me because it's like Anderson fought James Irvin, which, I mean, that's not a great win. He fought Griffin, which I guess at the time, you know, Griffin was a former champion. That, that looks a little bit better. But then he fought Stefan Bonner. And I know, you know, it's like, to me, it's like the, the, the moving up weight class thing's kind of a moot point because it's, it's not like he was fighting the best in that division at the time. Yeah, I agree with that. I, although with Anderson, his dominance at middleweight was, you know, it's, it's hard to overstate that. But I think you could also argue that that division was quite weak at the time. I mean, you look at who he fought uh, mm-hmm. during that run, you know, Talis Latis, Maya. I mean, Maya, you know, he, got, he earned his shot, but I, th- I don't think he was considered a threat. Uh, Nate Marquardt, Yushin Okami, uh, Chell. I mean, Chell almost beat him. I mean, that, like, to me, there's, there's moments like that where it's like, okay. And whereas George, I mean, you look at the guys that he, he fought prior up to that, like, Thiago Alves was destroying people. John Fitch was beating everyone with his wrestling. Koscheck was beating everyone. Like, there yeah, wasn't... Nick Diaz. Yeah, Nick Diaz. I mean, Jake Shields. There was a lot of mm-hmm. fighters that he competed against that, were, that, that had, you know, really good streaks leading into that and fought really good competition. To me, I think George fought better competition than Anderson did. Are there any big stories we're missing that we want to touch on before we wrap this baby up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be playing some uh, interviews from uh, Media Day as part of this, uh, this show, so uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, just looking at the headlines, I'm trying to think if there's anything that, uh, well, that we haven't touched on. There's, there's the Matt Hughes things, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know if we want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, there's, there's also the Sage Northcutt saying that the UFC tried to get him back, which I thought was interesting. Um, it's your call, man. You're, you're the captain. Yeah, uh, well, Mackenzie Dern announced her pregnancy. She's putting her career on hold. Not much to say other than that as oh, part I of the news. I got a little bit about that. So um, I, I interviewed Randa Marcos this week, and uh, she told, and she's fighting Angela Hill at UFC Nashville. Randa told me that she actually signed a contract to fight Mackenzie. Out of nowhere, the fight just ends up getting scrapped. She fights Angela Hill instead, and now we know why Mackenzie's pregnant. Yeah, you know what? That's uh, that I did see that. I saw that you had spoken to Randa, and that would have been a good matchup for Randa. I think yeah. Matt, I think Randa could have given her some headaches. Although Randa probably would have tried to take her down. Although Randa has gotten better on the feet, so I, you know that is a pretty big missed opportunity for her. I, I agree. Although uh, Randa's two stoppage losses were both submission losses, Justine Kitch and Courtney Casey. So I mean, if it got to the ground, but you know, you look at the experience that Randa has as well. If she keeps it standing, I, I think it, it would get very interesting. But uh, we should point out, you know, all the best to Mackenzie being a mom. Uh, you know, as as parents, uh, you know, parenting is is awesome. Here's one. PFL signing a multi-year deal with ESPN yes. as well as TSN in Canada. Um, and people might think I'm a shill for saying how much I like the PFL, but I was on board last year, James. You were. You yes. You, no, you absolutely were. And it's an interesting format because, you know, certainly anything with a tournament, there's always, uh, you know, and I, you know um, there's always room for an upset. Uh, you know, we saw that with, like, Lewis Taylor and Ray Cooper before he got to the finals. And Pavel Kush. Pavel, exactly. So there, there is a lot of interesting, uh, you know, in, and, and I, think, I think this is also, um, you know, could be a, a, a you know, place for fighters to, you know, really make an effort to go to. Maybe instead of going to Bellator, you say, hey, I'm going to be on ESPN with PFL. So. I can make a million dollars. Exactly. So I think that it'll be interesting to see. I, I think we will see a more beefed up uh, PFL roster next year. Not that it wasn't last year, but I think that you're going to see uh, even more fighters flock there and, uh, you know, get some spotlight. And I, th- I think that's great. And, you know, what does this mean for LFA and other promotions that were used to sending fighters to the UFC that don't have that ESPN exposure? We'll see. 
when the PFL first announced its format and how they were doing things and the million dollar tournament, everybody scoffed at it. Everybody yeah. said nobody's going to get paid. This format is really strange. And I think this, the format still does have some holes that I'd like them to fix. Like I think a lot of fighters that didn't deserve to make the playoffs made the playoffs and that the decision thing played into it and guys were lower seeds than they probably should have been. But at the same time, I would love to see the PFL become something of a feeder organization for the UFC as well. There are so many good talent, you know, talented people uh, like like a Ray Cooper III who really emerged in uh, in that tournament, although he lost at the end. Uh, that could you know become very marketable in the UFC. I, I agree, but I think w- much of what you saw with the PFL roster last year were a lot of ex UFC fighters and veterans. I guess from that standpoint, you could see guys you know make a resurgence in their career and get back there, like a Chris Wade or. You know, um, uh, Johnny Case, I know, was uh, part of the PFL as well. There, there's a few fighters I think the UFC let go a little bit early. But, um, but yeah, like you mentioned, there are some intriguing prospects. You know, Tamir Valiev's one. Um, you know, Ray Cooper. Uh, there, there are some, some guys you'd like to see. And, hey, how about Lewis Taylor? I mean, he was supposed to fight in the UFC against Uriah Hall. The fight gets scrapped, and then UFC just didn't want him. And now he's, you know, a millionaire. So I think that's one of the interesting stories as well. But we'll see. I, I think it could end up being a feeder league. And uh, if you're a prospect, I think that's probably a good choice uh, fighting for PFL. And the note on Taylor, he's moving down to welterweight for this uh, for this season because the middleweight division's been scrapped for the uh, beefed-up, heavy, heavy, uh, heavily depth-ridden uh, uh, women's lightweight division. Yeah, I think they're going to run into some problems there because uh, there just aren't a lot of lightweight. I mean, as someone who's you know tried to keep an eye on prospects, there aren't a lot of 55ers. And if you look at some of the fighters that Kayla's fought, Kayla Harrison, who they're really building this division around, they've had trouble finding her opponents. So I'm curious to see who they can get, and you're probably going to get a lot of featherweights m- making that move up. Yeah, that's where you do like a try, an open open tryouts. <laughs> I mean, and try to find some somebody talented. Yeah, I think so. You might see some boxers come over. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's it's tough. You just don't see a lot of uh, women in that weight class, and um, you know, I think it's it's Kayla's to to lose basically at this point. But we'll see what they come up with. The fact that they got her some opponents before was impressive. So we'll see if they can fill a whole tournament up with it. Well, I don't know if the field has been determined yet, but Chris Cyborg's contract expires at the end of March, and I think a million dollars would probably be of interest to her. Probably would. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what they decide to do there. I think that's the fight everyone wants to see is is her and Harrison. But I mean, at the same time, like Kayla really hasn't you know had too much MMA experience, and you're taking someone like Chris Cyborg who's had over a decade of you know wins and uh, impressive victories. So I don't know if we want to see that fight just yet, but uh, that's certainly a fight that I think would do very well in terms of the numbers. All right, James, thanks for doing this. Uh, UFC 235 this weekend, Las Vegas, Nevada. Prelims available on TSN. The uh, early prelims on Fight Pass. Um, really appreciate this. Card coming up in Ottawa soon. I, I don't know. I guess you're not going to be there, but it's going to be nice to see a lot of Canadians uh, on that card. Yeah, I just hope they do the. Uh, yeah, I won't be there unfortunately, but uh, it would be great if they did the. Uh, I don't. I can't remember if you were at the last one, but they they did the actual media, um, like the interviews on the field where the Red Blacks play, which I thought was super cool. Oh, cool. I thought you meant the last uh, event in Canada in Halifax. I unfortunately couldn't make that due to having a child, yeah. uh, which I would have loved to go to. But uh, uh, thanks, James. Uh, I really appreciate this. Here are some interviews from UFC 235 Media Day. We'll start with an interview with Ben Askren. I'm here with Funky Ben Askren. Funkomania finally coming to the UFC. It's taking some time. You know what? When you first got signed or when you, you first found out you were going to the UFC, you got traded, so to speak, you said you couldn't sleep that night. What was going through your mind? I just got excited, you know? I mean... All these possibilities, which were not possibilities, you know, right before that phone call, were now available to me. So it was just like a lot of excitement, a lot of fun, that kind of thing. In your mind, do you just kind of go through the rankings and here's like how, to, how I beat this guy, here's how I beat yeah. this guy, and you're envisioning it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of almost laying out a calendar like you and I just were for George in November at 165 pounds. Um, 
yeah, just kind of thinking about who I could fight and what the layout was going to look like. Yeah, you mentioned George. We were talking about him before this interview started. He retired last week. Kind of a loose retirement. He said, you know, if I get the right call, maybe like a superhero in a movie, I'll come out of retirement and, I, uh, and make, a, make an appearance. I think he will. And you told me he was going to fight me in the in unretirement. Reti so that's good. Well, he had mentioned in the past, and so had Faraz, you know, I want to see Ben win a couple of fights and elevate his, his profile because George is all about legacy, he says yes, right now. Yes, absolutely. So when I'm 20 and 0, or 21 and 0, it's going to look uh, really tasty to George. Robbie Lawler, he's somebody that you didn't really call out when you got here. You've, yeah. been, you've been calling names left and right. Uh -huh. Where's this respect from Robbie, for Robbie above all else come from? He just, uh, he's a guy who's hard to dislike. I mean, do you dislike Robbie? Absolutely not. He's a great no, guy. Nobody does, right? So it's like, I'm not going to sit and talk for no reason. If I say it, I mean it. And I don't, <laughs> if I was thinking about him, I wouldn't really mean it. You've been practicing with uh, Tyron Woodley and helping him, as you always do. But do you feel like you've, you've been helping him uh, any further by kind of poking at his opponent behind the scenes, giving him a little bit of a hand in that regard? help. I, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he doesn't really need help. I think he's going to get it done no matter what. Uh, but yeah, probably he distracts Marty a little bit. He's under skin. How long do you, have you known Kamaru for? I mean, you say that you and him went back to the Olympic Training Center. I saw your altercation, so to speak, behind the scenes. You said, you know, I know you from, from back in the day. Yeah. Like, I wanted to say that was 2010. Because when I made my first Olympic run in 2008, I don't, I don't think he was around. I made that small comeback in 2010, and I believe that was where, you know, we crossed paths a few times. The Funkamania shirt, was that, was that photoshopped? Or was that real? On Marty? Yeah. No, that was fake. Come on. <laughs> that was funny, though, wasn't it? No, I thought it was real. That was, no, it was funny. It was good. <laughs> so um, after Robbie Lawler, what are you looking at next? I mean, you'll be right at the top of the division. Yeah. Obviously, Tyron's the champion. You and him are not looking to have a fight. Do you think Kamaru's next win or lose for him? No, I want to go to London and pick the winner of uh, Till Masvidal. You just think that would be a favorable matchup yeah, for you? Uh, well, that both be, I mean, the, yeah, I think the winner of that's probably, what, third or fourth, second, third, fourth ranked somewhere? I mean, it's a... You know, they're pretty highly ranked, and, you know, I would like to fight both those guys. I don't really like either one of them that much. Um, so, yeah, it'd be good to go. Everybody has a path to victory in any given fight. What do you think is Kamaru's best path to victory, if you were to look at it objectively against Tyron? He doesn't really have one. He's out of luck. I always say that Tyron's got the best trash talk, because he says, how are you going to beat me, and nobody seems to have an answer. Yeah, and, and when he asked Marty that at the press conference, there was no answer. There was none. Colby Covington apparently is flying here as we speak to attend this event. Do you think he's next in line regardless of what this happens? This event today? No, to the, the event this uh, weekend. Uh, yeah, he's probably next, I would guess. He's got a worse chance than Marty does. What, what do you think Kamaru does better than, uh, than Colby? They're, they're very similar in how they win uh, their fights. They're very, very similar. I think Marty is just a little better striker and a little better wrestler than, than Colby is. That's All right. Opinion, obviously. Well, Ben, thanks for this. We look forward to seeing you fight George St. Pierre later this year. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You announced it first. Bell Center. The Bell Center. I think or New York That's City right. the Bell Center. I don't care. Give me either Wherever. one. Wherever. Joined by Misha Serkinov, the lone Canadian on this card. Uh, it's good to have you here. You live in Las Vegas. 1-0 since you moved here. Yes. Thank you for having me and excited to, uh, to fight here. One thing I really want to ask you is Dana White said something to you after the, uh, the standoff. Um, what did he say to you? Uh, just, you know, some uh, some personal stuff we're going through right now and just, you know, giving encouragement and, you know, uh, showing uh, appreciation and respect and, you know, very, very nice of him. Yeah, on that front, how is everything going? I know your wife right now is uh, undergoing uh, treatment for breast cancer and this probably has been the most difficult camp of your life from that from that respect in your personal life. 
Yeah, no, it's just um, a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of pressure and it's different kind of pressure because you're not just fighting to win, to get money, to get fame, whatever, but we're in a fight for our life kind of thing. So it's just uh, definitely um, a little bit more intense as it's, it's ever been kind of thing, you know. Is she going to be here this weekend or is she back in Toronto? No, no, she's uh, back in Toronto. She's doing treatments there. She still has like, you know, uh, what is it, three or four more rounds of chemo to go. So she can't really travel, so she can't be on an airplane and stuff. So she's just spending time there and just, you know, dealing with all that stuff and trying to get healthy and trying to get better. So after this weekend, you're heading home for the, I guess, to Toronto for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to head down to Toronto, uh, go support her um, because I've been always training since my last fight. I came back right to a training camp, um, you know, j just to fight, make money and uh, all that. So... After this fight, I'm definitely going to um, take a little bit of time off and just uh, spend more time with her and, uh, like, you know, support her and, uh, you know, encourage her and whatever help she needs, basically. It's one of the crazy things about this sport is the pay structure. It's like you, you get money to show and then you get money to win. And that adds a little bit of pressure from you from that standpoint because you can't really project what you're going to have in the future. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, uh, like, it's a little bit unfortunate because all the sports in the world, there's a set salary, you know, you compete, you do it, and you get your set salary, you know, like in boxing and football, like hockey or whatever. But in fighting, it's, in my opinion, it's the toughest sport in the world. And then on top of that, you know, for example, if you lose, you get beaten up, uh, you're injured, you're hurt, and on top of that, you don't get your full kind of like full pay that you would hope for only like half for the show which i hope in uh, near future will change i hope uh you know everyone will get their set salary and um i think it'll be better for the sport and better for the athletes you know just better for sport in general it's, it seems that some of the higher tier athletes in the ufc are starting to work that into their deals where they want just show money yeah i think it's very smart you know uh, it's definitely uh, it's a good idea uh you know i didn't think of that before but definitely more guys are doing it now and i think that that's going to be the future um you know in mma when you first came into the ufc you were on a tear you were beating everybody in the first round johnny walker's doing the same thing this is his third fight i think in four or five weeks something along those lines a very short amount of time uh, this is something that you are familiar with what do you think is going to be his biggest weakness from a mental standpoint, you know, given that you've been there before? Yeah, uh, you know, he's very explosive and he rushes things and he's, um, he, I mean, he's very good with it. You know, he's a great reach. He's unpredictable. Um, but I have a good game plan against him, I feel like. You know, I have great uh, cornermen, uh, Ray Seifo, uh, Rob Santos and Ronnie Marks. And, uh, you know, we work a good plan. And I think that uh, I'll be able to capitalize it um, March 2nd. It seems like his career arc, he's gotten better and better and better, like a lot of fighters, obviously, especially young ones. There's not a whole lot you can learn from watching his recent fights, but have you been able to go back and, you know, there are fights where he's lost. Are you able to go back and look at those and realize some weaknesses that he has? A hundred percent. I've seen all his footage and I've seen all his fights. And, uh, you know, there's no such a thing as... Un unbeatable human you know even some guys that are undefeated right now with great records uh, their day their day will come you know this is uh, one of the most ruthless um, sports ever you know and the longer you stay in it like you know it, your day will come it doesn't doesn't matter who you are you're not invincible the only thing you can do is just train hard and uh, try to find out all the game plans and do all the researches but even then it might not be enough so you know 
it's it's just a tough sport, you know. There's so much to it. Well, the reason you're here in Las Vegas is because of your two losses. They kind of humbled you. You decided to change your life around, move out here. Do you feel like that was good for you, better for you than, you know, had you kept winning? Uh, I think so, you know, to involve as a fighter, as a human, as a, as a person, as an athlete, as, as whatever, you have to always involve, you know, if you're always the same, um, you, you're going to be the same, you know, so the more, more you read, the more footage you watch, the, the more you educate yourself, you're bringing slowly yourself to a higher level. And, uh, you know, I suffered two losses and I felt like, um, I was missing, uh, some of the grinding matches I was never really in a bad position I was always a hammer hammering everyone down and uh, under the pressure I kind of panicked before so I I wanted to work on that I wanted to uh, find some big tough guys Um, I trained with a lot of heavyweight heavyweight guys some big guys way bigger than me I'm usually the smallest guy in training and I've been in really really bad positions and uh, now I know how to fight out of those bad positions and uh, keep pushing forward. So I think that, like, answer your question, I think that it was, a, I think, one of the best decisions ever. You know, I do miss Canada. I have so many friends. I mean, my family is there. But I, at the same time, I have to do what's good for my career and what's good for me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for um, Las Vegas, for UFCPI, for Extreme Couture Las Vegas, uh, for all my training partners, you know. Uh, you know, I, I think it's like a next chapter for me and uh, to go to the next level, this is where I have to be right now. What do you think of Johnny's persona? I mean, he's, you saw how he's dressed, he trips on the stairs on the way to come see you, he's smiling, he's changing his poses, yeah. it's an interesting, interesting fellow. A hundred percent, you know, he plays his uh, act, he uh, tries to be, you know, uh, remembered and uh, it, it's amazing. That's exactly what we need for MMA, you know, he has a huge following and uh, I hope to... Uh, catch some of his following you know after march 2nd all right michelle well best of luck to you and obviously uh, best wishes on what's going on with you and your uh, and your wife hopefully uh, everything works out sooner rather than later thank you so much thank you thank you i hope that you enjoyed those interviews with misha Serkinov and ben askren now we've got interviews coming up with tyron woodley and cody garbrandt from ufc 235 media day in las vegas nevada card coming this weekend it's going to be a good one hope you enjoy these interviews here's tyron woodley and Cody Garbrandt. So I think you have one of the best trash talk lines ever, which is, how are you going to beat me? You put that on a t-shirt. You've beaten Division One wrestlers, Jiu-Jitsu wizards, karate guys. Nobody has seemed to find an answer. What can Kamaru Usman do differently, do you think, that, that sets him apart from anybody else? He can't. And that's why I wanted, him to, I wanted him to sit there and be baffled. I wanted him to sit there and do all this talking, and you've been a good champ, and it's time for a new guy. And I want you to provide me the path to victory. He wasn't able to, right? He wasn't able to say, I'm going to take you now. He wasn't able to say, I'm going to knock you out. He wasn't able to say, I'm going to be faster than you. I'm, I'm stronger than you. I'll push harder than you. I'm going to submit you. He can't say any of that. He can't outcondition me. He can't outthink me. So I just wanted him to recognize that we weren't buying, we wasn't buying it. And he didn't even believe it. And, and many people that can just read a person recognize that, that it wasn't authentic. And he had to sit there and really deal with the fact that, you know what? I talked all but how am I going to beat this guy, you know? I asked him the same question earlier, and I said, skill, skill for skill, where do you think you best match up with Tyron? He said everywhere, didn't you? No, well, no, he actually said, he said, well, this isn't Taekwondo, it's mixed martial arts. You know, we, we do a lot of everything in this game. But you still got to, it's mixed martial arts, but you still got to divide the martial arts because we're not going to start on our back. We're going to start on our feet. And if we make it to the ground, 
the striking techniques aren't going to be out the window. If we're against the cage, then some of the open wrestling techniques are going to be out the window. So you got to show me what technique and what tactic you're going to beat me in. And I haven't seen any that he can beat me in, not even wrestling. He mentioned that he liked to beat up on guys that were in D1 that disrespected D2 guys, that D2 guys were hungrier, the D1 guys were part of these big elite programs. Uh, do you buy into any of that? I mean, you can be as hungry as you want to, but if you don't have the level of competition that we've had, you can't prove it. You can be a D2 national champion, and yeah, you may have been able to go up to Division I, you could have been an All-American there, but it's all perspective. You would have had to go and do it. And I wrestled in my conference alone of just five schools in the Big 12s. I had the national champion, the runner-up, the person that took fourth, and the person that took fifth. All in one, all in the same weight class. So to even compare the Division One and Division Two, just in my weight class alone, is not even close. Ben Askren's helped you out a lot in the gym, but do you feel like he's also helped you outside of the gym by kind of distracting your opponent? I mean, it seems like at the last press conference, the two of them were going back and forth rather than you and Kamaru. Yeah, you know, I think I think he kind of rattled him. And he he didn't seem like he was dealing well with being called Marty. So um, I think. Him being called Marty, he's kind of got on his skin. Now he want to come out there. And guys that want to come out there and go rah-rah with me in the octagon usually get knocked out. I noticed that in the stare-down, you took off your sunglasses. He took off his, his sunglasses. You put yours back on. He put his back on, but he waited a little bit longer. He does everything I do. He got his camera guy following him around doing anatomy of the fighter, which is a knockoff of champ camp. You know, he want to be a commentator. I do ESPN. He does Titan Fighting Championship. Everything that I do, he wants to do. You know, I take my glasses off, he take his glasses off. You know, so um, to a certain point, he's fighting a guy he's probably looked up to for a long time. And, um, you know, I always, I've always respected Kamaru. He's always had a lot of composure, a lot of talent, and a lot of skill. But I just think at this point of his career, he's where I was at a few years ago. Colby Covington is landing in Las Vegas any minute now. He's in the air, apparently. Are you happy that he's going to be in town for this event to watch you, you fight Kamaru Usman, a guy who's very similar to him? I mean, Kamaru Usman is a lot better than um, Kobe. He just has more uh, offense, has better striking, and um, he has more composure. Um, Kobe's a little spazzy, and he can do that against guys that are, you know, at the end of their career, guys that, you know, have already maybe even had titles like RDA or guys like Damian Maya, who a title may not be in his future. Those guys, the motivation isn't the same as me or Kamaru Usman, and he just doesn't have the hands. So, um, I would think that Till is a better opponent, tougher opponent. Usman is a better opponent, tougher opponent. So this Kobe would be a step down from my last two opponents. With that in mind, though, do you think that he's next? I mean, he seems like he's on the outs of the promotion, but there isn't really a logical next contender for you after this. Yeah, I'm with it. Shoot. I mean, I ain't got no problem whooping his ass. And finally, George St. Pierre retired last week. Um, you've often said you're the best welterweight of all time, but if you surveyed people, a lot of them would say it was George. What do you think it would take to become the consensus best welterweight of all time? What, what's left for you to do that? All I got to do is just keep fighting hard and, and winning fights in dominant fashion. If I can focus on that, everything else will fall into place. Everything that comes with being a champion, everything that goes hand-in-hand hand with that are going to fall into place. If I focus on trying to get this record, if I focus on trying to be greater than George, if I focus on movies, entertainment, everything that comes with the fighting, it's going to be too much and it can distract you. I'm focused on going out there, whooping Kamara Usman's ass, then everything else I'll figure out after that. I'm here with Cody Garbrandt. So is this Cody Garbrandt 2.0? It's been a while since uh, your last win. You beat Dominic Cruz in your last win. But since then, so much has happened in your life. It's, it's amazing. So what's changed between the up-and-coming, the hungry, undefeated Co uh, Cody Garbrandt and the Cody Garbrandt we see before us right now? 
I just feel like I've grown. I've grown over the last uh, few years, you know. Um, that's really it, just growth, you know. Uh, with loss, I've, I've grown. You know, a lot of people don't grow with losses or let them stay there. I feel like uh, I've grown a lot, you know, through my losses. Uh, but also, you know, I'm a, I'm a father. My son's about to be one years old. I just find that balance, you know, just uh, just that. So, yeah, I feel like it's a... It's a new me, but then again, it's the same me. I'm still a savage in there. I'm so hungry. I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm going to be a world champion. And that's 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 the goal. It's always been the goal. Sometimes the plans change. One of your greatest assets leading up to becoming champion was that you were really, uh, I wouldn't say reckless, but you were so, you, like you said, you were a savage. You were going after everybody. You were trying to knock them out in the first round. Do you feel like you're going to be more measured, or is that approach going to come right back? Yeah, whatever the fight gives me, you know, I'll see more openings and. You know, I have, I have good vision. I have good vision in there. My speed's on another level. My power is on another level for the bantamweight division. And my athleticism is far greater than almost all the division, I would say. You know, I'm not saying there's not athletic guys in the division, but to possess athleticism, speed, and power, and just the ferociousness to go in there and take someone's head off. There's not too many people that have the full package. And uh, I feel like that. That's what I have, you know. And, uh, you know, nothing's changed, man. Just like I said, you know, this is a new plan, you know, a new road to the path of the, the goal that I have. You've, uh, you've had a lot of great things happen outside of the cage, but you haven't won in some time. Is that a feeling you're very hungry for, is to, to you know, basically get that feeling back and just the elation of, of knowing that you've, you've got a victory? I mean, I feel like I win every day. You know, I win every day that I have air in my lungs, blood in my heart. You know, food on my plate, a, a roof over my head, a son I can kiss and hold that's healthy. You know what I mean? I have a beautiful, amazing wife. I feel like I win every day that I wake up in this life. You know, I'm very filled with gratitude and joy. I feel like this is the most happiness I've had in my life. Um, and ironically, after two losses, I've grown so much and just had, like, so much happiness. Like I said, I don't, I don't look at losses as... As, as negative, you know, without losses, there's no growth, and I feel like I've grown so much as a, as a, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a fighter, uh, so I'm just taking it in stride, man, like I said, I, I feel like I, every day that I went, wake up, I win. It's a great mindset because these these fights are minutes, right? They're minutes of, of, of the grand you know the grand scheme of thing in your in your life. And getting to watch you with your son and the different videos that we see, it just goes to show that um, you, you have so much going for you right now that you know these fights are going to be something that you're prepared for mentally because of the, the happiness you're experiencing at all times. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you know the preparation is how you get prepared for the fight. You know, you build those mental calluses inside training camps where you're pushing yourself to the limit. You got to push yourself past breaking point. You know, past fatigue, fast failure, and uh, you work out those kinks in camp. And fortunately, I've been able to stay healthy all all camp uh, and had a great camp, man, where I went in every day just to just to win 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 the day. What do you think is the, the best asset for you against a guy like Munoz? Do you think it's on the feet? Do you think that, that it's going to be able to, you know, your ability to overwhelm opponents? Um, man, honestly, first and foremost, I got a lot of respect for Pedro, but he's stepping up in competition. You know, everyone that I fight is stepping up in competition, stepping up to me. The pace that I bring, the speed, the power, the athleticism, they're going to match my strengths, you know, and... Uh, I just feel like he's not, he's not ready for this level, you know what I mean? He's been fighting, you know, the guys that's been, you know, top 15 guys, top 10 guys he's been fighting, but he's never fought me, you know, I'm, I'm the best in the world, and 
I'm just excited to go out there and, and showcase that. But uh, the speed's going to be different. The power's going to be different when I hit you. That like that athleticism. I've never been taken down in a fight. He's a jiu-jitsu guy that's turned striker. That's that that's perfect for me. You know, dot him up, tag him up, and he's going to look for the shot. Good luck taking me down. Did you get any joy watching T.J. Dillashaw lose in the fashion that he did against Henry Cejudo? No, you know what I mean. Like it's it's a fight. Whoever like my thing was, I called that. I said that Henry was going to knock T.J. out, um, not out of spite or hatred for T.J. I just figured that was going to happen. Um, I didn't get any joy from another man's failure or um, failed attempt at success. I, I, that's not me. That's you know I think that's a jealousy trait and not jealous of TJ. He's taken the opportunity that he was given in his life with the fights with me. He's battled back and become a world champion. I have no animosity towards the guy, you know. Uh, I look forward to face him in the future, how many fights I have to do to win, to get back to that. If he's still the champion at 135 pounds and when my time is for the title shot, uh, I can't wait for that. That's what I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I had no joy of watching that, you know, seeing that, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, let the best man win, but I did call that from happening. Do you feel like there's a degree of justice, though? This was your blueprint. You said you wanted to, you know, move down to 125, fight Demetrius at the time, and win that fight. He didn't end up winning that fight, but he kind of stole that, that blueprint from you. Yeah, I mean, he, he took the opportunity that was given, you know what I mean? The blueprint, whatever. It's like he went out there and he took the opportunity to do it, and he did. So hats off to him. Never was mad at him for any any of that. You know, it's he's got a family. He's got a child. He's trying to support his family. Like, it's the game of making money and getting out, you know, so hats off to him. He, he, he tried to go down and become a double champ. He failed in that, you know, and we'll see what happens from here on out. Do you feel like it diminishes the division at all, seeing him lose to a flyweight? It sucks, you know what I mean? It sucks that the Bantamweight champion went down and got knocked out. Um, I mean, but, man, I'm just focused on myself, you know. They don't dictate my career, who I fight, or what's going on in my life. Uh, so it sucks, you know, like I feel like Henry's a champion at 35, so it's the targets on Henry now, you know, but TJ has a title at 35 and he has two wins over me. And I'm just getting, you know, I feel like I'm just really getting started in my career. I'm 27 years old and I have my 13th professional fight. I've grown so much. I'm still finding my stride, finding my, my style in there, you know, getting comfortable, getting the experience. You know, I'm under 15 fights. I was 10-0 and as a world champion, so... Uh, that's, I, I feel like I'm, I keep training the way I'm training. I keep getting better and better and better and learning. My team is great. My coaches are great. Very thankful for them. It's been a great camp, so I'm excited to go out there and showcase what we've been working on. And finally, this guy, Aljamain Sterling, seems to have a problem with you. <laughs> what, are you what are your thoughts on what he had to say about you recently? Uh, who? Aljamain Sterling. Oh, Aljamain, yeah. That guy's funny. i got to watch what I say to him. He's such a sensitive little that I don't want to say anything to him that, that upsets him or he wants to take it in a different way and run to Twitter, you know, it's always go, you know, it is what it is. He's, he's got some wins, you know, he's, he's feeling all high and mighty again. He's got some wins. So, hey, you better watch out what you ask for because uh, I'm, a, I'm a mean mother in there, that's for sure. All right, Cody, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck this Saturday. I right, thank you. Another person that I got to talk to while I was in Las Vegas was somebody who made a surprise appearance in the city. People weren't expecting Colby Covington to be here this weekend. He decided to come down, have some fun with friends. Whether or not he attends the event, we touch on that in the interview. And that's going to be Colby Covington, who uh, I got a, a nice one-on-one -on -one with. Went and visited him at a friend's house. And uh, here he is on the TSN MMA show. I can confirm that Colby Covington is indeed in Las Vegas. Flew here on a private jet today. I guess you're here just to support your ex-teammates. You know, John Jones, Tyron Woodley, that's why you're here? 
Yeah, I'm here to see all my best friends, you know, John Jones, my former roommate and good friend and, and my best friend for the weekend and my favorite fighter for the weekend, Tyrone Woodley. So are you going to the event? Are you going to check out the fights in person? No, I actually won't have time to check out the fights. You know, my, my schedule is completely booked. I'm going to be with a lot of chicks and uh, gambling and just, you know, enjoying Las Vegas. So this event, you've got Woodley, you've got Usman. Do you feel like this should have been you? When you, when you come here and you see this all going on, you are healthy. You are healthy. This should have been you. You were the interim champion. Yeah, you know, the good thing is that, you know, I'm not going to complain or, or feel sorry for myself, but everybody knows, not just me, everybody knows it was supposed to be me. I'm the, you, can't, you can't deny the facts, you know. I'm, I'm the blockbuster draw at welterweight. Look, look at the numbers, you know. At minimum, I put up a video on Instagram, it gets 800,000 views. I mean, no one's doing that in the division. I got a belt. I went to the White House. I'm the number one ranked fighter. What else do you have to do to get a title shot these days? If I can't get a title shot, I mean, no one can get a title shot. So I don't feel bad for myself, you know. The UFC robbed the fans. You know, and I spoke to Woodley and Ben Askren today, and they both said, yeah, Colby's next. Yeah, everybody knows I'm next. I'm the biggest draw. You know, everybody wants to fight me, you know, and, and you know, I should have been here fighting this weekend, but, you know, it is what it is. They, you can watch, you know, probably the fans are going to be booing them out of the arena on Saturday night. That wouldn't happen if I would have fought, but, you know, they're going to learn from their, their tough losses, and they're going to have to come back around and start offering me fights again. Right now, though, it looks like you're not in the best position with the promotion. They, they didn't put you on this event. How is that going to get smoothed over? Or do you think it's just going to fall into place because you're the logical next guy? Yeah, you know, who knows what's going to happen? You know, anything can happen. You know, nothing's guaranteed. So who knows if I'm ever even fighting in the UFC again. I could be fighting somewhere else, you know. But, you know, I'm willing to smooth things over if they want to smooth things over. But the ball's in their court. You know, they're going to have to treat me fairly. You know, I'm not going to get treated like, you know, a piece of anymore. They're going to have to treat me you know, like how I'm supposed to be treated. You know, I, I earned something. They promised me something. I deserve that. If I don't get anything less, then I'm not going to be in the UFC. Your agent, Dan Lambert, has a lot of sway. While you're here in Vegas, is it possible he could set up a meeting? I know you're, you said your schedule's pretty full, but could you make time for the UFC if they wanted to meet with you? Uh, you know, I would do it if Dan Lambert wanted me to do it, but I'm not really interested in meeting with them. I have nothing to say to them this weekend. They're going to put this boring fight on. You know, Tyron Woodley, he's supposed to put the opponents to sleep, but he's going to put the fans to sleep on Saturday night. Do you expect this to be a five-round fight that just goes the distance and the fans are going to be less than enthused? Uh, you know, that's what I'm expecting. Both fighters are boring. You know, you got Snoozman on one side, then you got Tyquil on the other side. So I'm expecting a boring fight, but, you know, I wouldn't be, I would be happy if Tyrone knocked him out quick because then maybe he'll want to turn around and fight me in June or July. You and Usman do have somewhat similar styles. You're both very high pedigree wrestlers, high motors, good output. Do you think that that's the best path to victory for Usman if he does win this fight? Is just putting it on Woodley, putting volume on him, and, and hoping to win the rounds? Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to give. Usman a game plan, you know, and something for him to pick up on. And But, you know, I know how there is to beat Woodley. I've trained with him multiple times, you know. He, he quits in the training room, so he's a quitter. So I'll make him quit in front of the whole world, but I'm not going to expose the truth and uh, the actual science behind how you can do that. What's his relationship like right now with Dan Lambert? Is he still on a, a member of ATT? Uh, you know, he's really at Duke Rufus now, but uh, he tries to claim he's a member at ATT because why would you want to – you don't want to – on a guy like Dan Lambert when a guy like Dan Lambert who has a billion dollars and he's one of the richest and most powerful people in the in the world you don't ever want to burn that bridge so he tries to keep a good relationship with ATT but he never trains there he hasn't trained there in three or four years he's at uh, Pook Rufus uh, full-time is his one connection I guess Dean Thomas Dean Thomas comes down and then helps him out yeah that's that's his one uh one connection is didn't do nothing Thomas so uh, you know, he never comes to ATT. He always has didn't do nothing, Thomas, go to him and, and Pook Doofus' camp. So, 
You know, that's that's what he has with ATT, but he's not ATT. I'm ATT. I'm the best fighter at ATT, and I'm putting ATT on my back, and no one's stopping us. So I'm guessing you don't do a lot of work with Dean Thomas when uh, you're there at ATT. No, it's safe to say that, uh, yeah, he gets scared when I, he puts his head down, looks the other way when I walk by. He knows who the king of that gym is. Who do you work with primarily at the, at the gym? Uh, my head coach is uh, Mike Thomas Brown, the greatest mind in mixed martial arts history. I mean, that guy is so intelligent. Not only is he a world-class fighter, he's a world champion. You know, his accolades go on forever, but his knowledge for the sport and just breaking down fights, that guy's unbelievable. And, and I have to give a lot of credit to him and my evolution in, in, in my game. And you haven't seen the best out of me yet. You know, I'm 30 years young, and I'm only getting better every single day. So on top of Mike Thomas Brown, I got my head, my head striking coach, Gregory Choplin. And then, you know, I work with my buddy Dustin Poirier, you know, and I got a, a lot of good training partners over at American Top Team. When you look at Mike Brown, it's pretty interesting. There are very few guys that have been champions in the sport that end up being prolific head coaches, and he's been able to make that transition. He's a true student to the game, man. That guy, he just he literally eats, sleeps, and breathes MMA. Like, he goes to sleep thinking about fights. He's breaking down studies in a film. I mean, he's in the gym eight or ten hours a day. It, it, the guy's unbelievable. I mean, if you guys seen this guy work, you would understand, like, why he's so knowledgeable and, and why he has all the skills that he has. So, you know, thankful to Mike Thomas Brown and everything he's doing. And we're just getting started. This is only the first of many belts we're going to win together. Well, you mentioned Dustin Poirier. He's got a belt on the horizon, interim belt. Did you warn him at all saying this interim belt doesn't mean a whole lot? Yeah, I tried to warn him, but, you know, he was just so excited about just fighting. You know, he was just he was itching to fight. He hasn't fought in a long time. So, you know, he knows the belt doesn't mean nothing. He knows that's not going to get him a shot at Khabib. You know, if, if I couldn't get my shot with Woodley, you know, off with, with the belt, he knows that shot's not going to get him to Khabib. But, you know, he wants to prove something. You know, he wants to prove to the world that he's still a top fighter in the world. And, and by beating a guy like Max Holloway, that, that proves that he is a top fighter in the world. You asked for your release recently. He asked for his release, but he's back, back on, back on track. I guess back in the game. That, that title shot meant that much to him. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I, you gotta love it. You know, I kind of started a trend. You know, him and I, Quinta, were asking for their release after I said it. So, you know, that's when you know you're doing something good in MMA when everybody's trying to follow your trend. They brought your name up at a one championship uh, media availability yesterday. Did you see this? No, nah, I don't pay attention to anything with one FC. What they say? Uh, fans were were very adamantly against you joining one FC. <laughs> or one championship, rather. Well, it's a good thing I don't care about uh, joining a bottom feeder promotion. You know what? What is one FC? Is that that's that's a fighting championship? That's where Demetrius Johnson is now. Eddie Alvarez. Never heard of him. Okay. Well, they they, they didn't seem too keen on bringing you in, but whatever. It, it is what it is. You're with the UFC. Dana White has said he's not going to release you, so I guess you're in this for the long haul. But sitting out is probably the right thing to do right now. We we look through the division. We look through the rankings. Uh, it looks like Ben Askren, if he does get a win over Robbie Lawler, like he's going to get up there, but he's not going to fight Woodley. So you're the logical next choice, no matter what ends up happening in any of these fights, you know, short of maybe Usman getting a, a close win over Woodley and they, you know, the fans demanding an instant rematch, which I don't think you think is in the cards. Yeah, that's, that's not in the cards. He just he shouldn't even be in that position. He doesn't have the skills to beat Woodley, and he's an emotional fighter, so he's definitely not going to get the win, but... You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, the, the, the fans want it. You know, they did polls on ESPN, you know, everywhere. You know, every fan wanted it. They were 80%. They want to see me fight. You know, everybody's begging to see me fight. But, you know, I'm just getting better every day, man. So I asked you this before we started because I never know when, what, what you're saying, if it's hyperbole or not, or, you know, sometimes you say some interesting off-the-wall stuff. You mentioned, though, that your mom uh, raised you on her own, uh, you know, in a really bad part of town. And I wasn't exactly sure if you were being facetious or not, but uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing because I don't know if that many people are familiar with it. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up with a single mom, you know, with, with a, my sister in a one-bedroom, you know, little tiny 
apartment. My mom's working three jobs in California to raise us, you know, and, you know, just seeing that strength, that's, that's really what, why I am who I am today is my mom. She's, she's given me everything, you know, just that never giving up attitude and just always working hard and believing in your dreams and, and, you know, coming up in that type of, uh, you know, in like the legit projects in California, it was a rough area, a lot of gangs around. You didn't, you, you couldn't walk in the streets at night because, you know, you literally, you get shot at. So, you know, growing up in that upbringing, it's, it's made me who I am. And that's why I'm a fighter. And that's why I'm here today as the world champion. So did your sister help raise you quite a bit? I mean, if your mom was working the three jobs, I'm guessing you and your sister kind of had to fend for yourself for some time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my sister watched me a lot and, you know, she had to cook for me a lot and stuff and. You know, that we developed a special bond that we've carried in today, and she's one of my biggest fans today. So, you know, I got nothing but support and for my for my sister and my mom. I've met your sister, and she looks pretty young, so she must have been pretty young when she was cooking for you. Am I, am I right? Yeah, she's six years older than me, so she's 36 now. So, yeah, when I was a little kid, like three or four, you know, she was like only nine or ten. She wasn't even a grown kid, but, you know, duty calls. You got you, you to put the top ramen on the stove. You got to cook that for me. You got to put some bacon on the heater and... And uh, I got to get fed, man. It's a growing hungry boy, man. There's, there's a reason I got to this world championship. You know, my parents, my mom, my sister, and even my dad later in life, you know, they put it all on the line for me so I could be here today. So if the UFC calls you and says, we want you to, to fight in June or something in Chicago again, just like last year, um, is that a good timetable for you? Is really any timetable for you a good one right now, as long as the title's on the line or you're fighting Woodley? Yeah, you know, you know, I want a full training camp. So, you know, whatever, June is perfect timing. You know, that gives me a full training camp where you can see my full skills, you know, not, not trying to rush me into a fight on three weeks' notice. So June would be great. You know, I'd love to go back to the United Center and make the United Center great again. You know, I mean, there's a reason freaking Michael Jordan left that dump. So bring Colby Chaos Covington back so I can make it great again. They did trade for Otto Porter at the deadline, so he's working on it. Yeah, but they're still one of the worst teams in the league. The Bulls suck, man. They need to bring the great American winning machine in there to show them how the winning gets done. Well, the record does speak for itself. Um, so uh, thanks for doing this, Colby. I appreciate it. You are here in Las Vegas. I can vouch for you uh, if anybody thought that for whatever reason you weren't going to be flying out here. But you're not going to be at the event. Yeah, I don't really have time for the event. I booked my schedule, and I got some sponsor meetings out here, you know. <laughs> You know, it's just there's not enough time in the day. And, and since I'm not fighting, I'm just not going to waste my time. You know, the winner, they, hopefully they call my name and hopefully they make this fight this summer. But we'll see what happens. Uncle Fester seems to f*** these deals a lot. What if they call you and they say, we've got a front row ticket for you. You can watch, uh, see how the fight plays out. Would you, would you take it? Would you show up? Probably not. You know, it's just it's a waste of my time. You know, I'm not going to go there and let the crowd pop for me because right now I'm, uh, you know, most relevant guy in the welterweight division. So... You know, it's just I don't really got time for it. You know, I got better things to do. And f*** UFC. All right. Well, with that, it's Colby Chaos Covington here in Las Vegas, Nevada uh, for UFC 235. He won't be at the event, but he is here to enjoy the festivities, enjoy the city. Uh, thanks for your time, Colby. appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. All right. That was Colby Chaos Covington, and that wraps it up for UFC 235 coverage here on the TSN MMA show. But we've got plenty more coverage on tsn.ca slash UFC throughout the weekend. Make sure you check out my Twitter, at Aaron Bronstetter, for all kinds of different clips that will be shared on social media, uh, as well as links to the interviews as they happen on Saturday night, as well as leading up to the event on Friday at weigh-ins and, of course, open workouts. Thanks to those for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more TSN MMA show. I think Joe will be joining me next week. Actually, he might be on the road for glory, so it might just be me flying solo again, but uh, that'll do it. So thank you for those tuning in, and we'll be back very soon with more TSN MMA show. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.